Welcome back, Ag Watchers, to another episode. It's just myself, Andrew Whitelaw, and Matt Dalgleish today. Uh, we thought we'd do just a quick update on what is happening in the agricultural markets. Uh, later on in the week, we'll have a bit more of a long-form episode where we'll be talking to somebody quite interesting and quite different to our normal conversations, I'd say, Matt, and, yeah, something, and something that you're a massive fan of. <laughs> yeah, let's not give too much away, mate. Don't want to spoil the surprise. So we'll look forward to that tomorrow. Uh, probably come out either tomorrow or Friday. So, Matt, what's been happening in the livestock market? Export numbers are out. Yeah, that's right. There's not been a great deal of movement in pricing, um, but we did see the export numbers out. I mean, the Eki's starting to move back towards $10, uh, $10 uh, just, just shy of that as of yesterday. Um, which is a little bit of an increase, but um, things like heavy steer down about 10 cents, you know, at 4.20 cents live weight and um, trade lamb across the country is um, down about 10 cents as well and about 900 cents a kilo carcass weight. So um, they're all kind of fairly steady. But the interesting thing was the um, the export numbers that came out, um, some interesting stuff for beef and particularly for lamb as well. Um, I'll give you a quick summary if you want. Yeah, so where's it all going? Yeah, so if we focus on beef, so Japan's our number one spot has been for a number of years in terms of beef exports. Uh, this year, they're holding about 27% of the market share as of as of July uh, of total exports. Uh, they saw an increase of 15% for July, which is pretty good. Um, is, that they have all, been, is, that, is that all the uh, MLAs doing their barbecues at the Tokyo yeah, Olympics and it's all just <laughs> loads of containers of, 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 of meat for the athletes? Keep yeah, it could be, could be. Well, they are a sponsor uh, of the Olympics, I think. Uh, they are. You yeah. Know, yeah, so maybe that's what it is, all these MLA um, activities happening and they're doing all those fantastic uh, little little tomahawk steaks and stuff that they do when you when you go to the MLA events. They're always, they're always can be guaranteed a good feed at these MLA events. Um, so, 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 so Tokyo is up or, or Japan's up? Japan's um, up, yeah. They're, look, they're up for, yeah, they're up 15% from June, but they have been um, trending kind of under the average for quite some time this year. This is the the closest we've been to the kind of five-year average pattern, which is about 7% below the average now. But all things considered, that's pretty good um, to see. That's a good sign with our biggest market. And the other the other market at the moment that's our second biggest, which only occurred this year, was South Korea has moved into second biggest spot on about 18% of our total market share. And they had a similar kind of rise up 12% from June to July. And they're just sitting now only 2% below their kind of standard average. So they've been pretty strong. So our pals in China, they obviously, they jumped up <laughs> in what, 2019, 2018, around right about then. And yep. that sort of coincides with ASF, but they're starting to slow down the imports a bit. Yeah, they've been they've been under the average. The first probably three months of the year, they were on the five-year average in terms of the export flows were, were pretty much standard. But since about April, they dropped. And, and from April to now, they've been about 18% below the average trend you know, on any given month since April. Uh, for July, they were down 15% or, sorry, 15% um, uh, below the, the normal July average. So, you know, but look, considering with China, you've got to remember there's now, I think, eight, uh, eight export abattoirs that are still haven't been given access yet back. So, you know, when you consider that there's a few out of the market and that the US are, you know, making continued gains there. I think and, that, and that's that's something that we sort of spoke about for a while is that the US would get more volume in because of that phase one deal. Mm, correct. And we've certainly seen that. They've gone from 
you know, less than 1% a few years back going into China to about 4% of what's going into China now. So they are starting to eat away a little bit at our market share. Um, so that's something to keep an eye on. And the other thing, I guess, is, is product into the US has been the big, uh, you know, kind of factor keeping overall exports for beef subdued. They're, for July, the US are down 39% on their kind of average flows. So, and if you look at the whole year to, to July, they're down 45%. What? So big volumes. So- so it's obviously that we've got some export demand and, it, and it's up a bit this month. What about the uh, the Eki? You, you briefly mentioned the Eki and it's up at, you know, 9.99, 9.98, something like that. Yep. A, a little bit higher than you were forecasting. 10, 15 yeah. cents higher. Uh, oh, yeah, probably. Yeah, I kind of thought between 9.50 to 9.75 we'd top out, but we've seen it higher than that. It got to 10.14, I think it was. Um, and it's backed off a little bit, but yeah, it's only think- it's, on, it's only a couple of percentage points out. Some yeah. some were, some were forecasting it was going to be four hundred by September. So <laughs> yeah, that's that's but, a, but, yeah, but the, a the, the other day I saw that listing on the, the MLA's quarterly report thing that they put up. There's there's that new thing. The uh, yeah, they give a forecast or a market the forecast. I guess a the market, market forecast. forecast. Yeah. a bit like yeah, the that- a bit like the Reuters polls where they go to a whole bunch of people. Yeah. And, yeah, no, and, it's, I think it's a good thing that they're doing, um, putting that out and giving a, giving some of the market participants a chance to... On, to on the, um, I guess the only thing is the difference between that and the Reuters poll is the Reuters poll tells you which companies provided which uh, outlook. So having an average is, is good, but it's... You know, I guess we're the only, we, we've been happy to put out what our actual forecast is as well for people to compare against. Yeah, we did that straight away. Yeah, just we're thinking. I mean, the forecast is just to the end of this year, um, so we've got it back at about nine twenty by the end of the, end of the year is what we're thinking. Which is, I thought, I thought I was being a bit bearish actually there, but um, there's a few out there that have that have kind of well the the average across the the six um, participants is eight seventy four, I think. So there's a there must be a few in there that are calling it well lower um, to have the average trade down. I guess. I wonder what the logic is behind that. Uh, so, so that's the average. Eight seventy four is the the industry average, I guess you could say. Yeah. Across, yeah. Who, who's that across? Rabobank. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Mercado. Yeah. Yep. And I think ABS might have submitted something. ABS as well. Yeah. 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 Okay. Oh, well, look, it's another good tool. Like, yep. Like we we obviously look at the Reuters ones, the FX polls, and the stocks polls, that type of thing. So it's it's a handy tool to get like a, an industry consensus. So good on them for doing it. Yeah, no, I think it's a good idea. Um, when you look at the range though, you've got, I think something like 960 was the potential higher end of where it might be in um, in December. And then it was, I think 809 was Auction, the- Auctions Plus was the other one. Oh, that's right. Yeah. 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 809 was the low end. So, I mean, to see it down at 809 by December, that's um, that's pretty bearish. Um, but anyway, we'll see. We'll see how it, what goes. We'll, we'll see. At least we're putting yeah. an end to it. No, that's good. And I think over time, it'll like if they do it every every kind of time they release their outlook. Over time, we'll start to get a feel as to how good the uh, the participants are at um, at kind of you know um, as an aggregate, how good we are at predicting where it's going. Yeah. What's you know? the live export sheep? What, what, what's the, what's the live, recent live exports been? Uh, well, for sheep, it's been negligible because of the moratorium still. So, um, yeah, we, we, so I think we saw... So, the, so there won't have been anything since May then? That's right. Yeah, May was the last oh, time we saw some decent... Well, there was, a, there was a couple of 
air, air shipments, no no boats. I think it was less than two thousand head that went um, through June, uh, obviously because of the the moratorium that Northern Hemisphere moratorium. Um, there's no exports going by boat from June till September. So that's a bit of a non-event. The big thing for the sheep side was actually the lamb exports. We didn't get across to them. Um, oh, yeah. So lamb exports are very strong. Um, even though, well, when I say very strong, we were down 8% uh, for July, from June to July, it was down 8%. But even though it was down 8%, um, those July numbers were uh, um, 35% above the average for July. Um, it's, it's massive amounts. And, and what's driving that is the USA, a very strong demand at the moment. Um, they're 77% above their normal kind of levels you'd expect for July based on the averages. And China's 49% above in terms of volumes. Uh, and then the rest of the world's 14%. So it's pretty strong in our two main exporting nations of the USA and China. And then and then the rest of the world's pretty healthy at 14% above the average too. So um, that's a really good sign for sheep producers that the market's so strong. Just grilling season. Um, a bit, well, see, a bit norm- of extra, extra disposable income. Well, normally, normally for the grilling season, you tend to see an increase in beef exports, right, because of the burger type stuff. Whereas, you know, and it's the opposite for lamb. A lot of the time, the lamb um, higher higher volumes in lamb tend to come at the end of the year or the start of the year because um, that's their kind of winter time and and also around the festive times of Christmas and New Year. You've got to remember a lot of those. Um, lamb products to the US goes to the fine dining. So it's more like people going out celebrating something, be it Christmas or New Year's or something. But speaking about that beef, yeah, and, and mm. we, we normally have that seasonal demand of, of beef burgers and whatnot, yeah, the yep. 90 CL going mm-hmm. into the US, uh, which is all just ground up mince, basically. <laughs> yep. Uh, what about what about Canada? Because we're obviously seeing a bad drought there in Canada and Northern USA. So are we seeing... You know, I read an article today that's saying that there's a lot of a lot of destocking going on. Yeah, there has been actually. That started before the drought, though. Um, the destocking started last year in the US, at least. Um, it's obviously probably exacerbated. In fact, that could be a good article um, to look at to see where it sits now. But with and the US cycles are much more predictable than than Australia. They tend to go when you go from liquidation to rebuild. Theirs are a lot more um, consistent. Well, uh, they, so don't, they, see, don't, they don't have as many poor seasons. Well, it's also overall. that they're very, yeah, but they're very highly um, reliant upon the feedlotting sector. So uh, that kind of tends to even it out, whereas yeah, ours is much more seasonal. If you look at the the change to the herd between Australia and, and the US, ours is a lot more volatile. And I think it's because of part of the reason is we rely a lot more heavily on that pasture-based system. Uh, you know, that's obviously changing increasingly. Yeah, yeah, um, well... Like, I don't know. It's just a, it's an interesting one to look at, I reckon, because, you know, we know that in the, uh, in that, uh, in that space in, in Canada, and I know that there's a lot of difficulties for them getting hay. And some of the comments, you know, from, from our friends over there is that they just, they don't really know how to react to drought in the same way that Australian farmers do, because yeah. they're just not used to it in the same way. They don't have the same sort of planning in place. Which is pretty, I think, which is yeah, yeah, but I think it is I mean, significant what we're seeing over there. We we saw that when we spoke to Corey Nesterov a few weeks back, um, and so yeah, that would be that would be putting added pressure on on a, on a destocking situation that was already underway um, for sure. Um, but yeah, worthy of a good article. What about um, so moving on to what about, what about kangaroo exports? <laughs> 
Yeah. Um, the, the, you... the, the, the $16 million export industry. It's massive into Europe, isn't it? No, I just, I just I read an interesting article on Farm Online about uh, there's a real difficulty for them to even reach their, their cull quota. So that the, there's some agencies trying to encourage the commercialization of, of kangaroo to encourage farmers to sort of harvest them. Yeah, there's, um, plenty, around, there's plenty around my place at the moment. Well, well, there's loads of them, but it's, you know, it's quite interesting to see, you know, the biggest markets for them, you know, and it's all European, really. You know, the big markets are Belgium, Germany, Netherlands. Yeah, bit, yeah, bit that's of, right. Bit of Papua New Guinea, bit of South Africa, and Russia comes along every now and then and buys loads of it. But I, I think it's it is something to be considered because when you think about it, I know like you used to find kangaroo in places in the UK and, and restaurants and stuff, but it was generally a bit of a novelty type of a meat. You would get it so you could say that you tried it, and that was about it. It's a, it is a, unless you have your meat kind of fairly rareish as well. It's a tricky one at the home to get kind of right in terms of how you cook it, and yeah. Um, it, it, you know, obviously can, it's, I, I like it kangaroo, but, um, um, I'm yeah. miss sometimes I've had it in restaurants where it's, I've been at the same table as somebody else has ordered the same dish mm. and, and theirs has been rotten and mine has been fantastic or vice versa. So it's, yeah. it is, that's what you get with game meat. But no, I think like, I think that that's a good opportunity for it to be marketed as a proper exotic meat because mm. it is exotic and now we've got no competition. Apart yeah, that we from, used apart, to. Apart from that one small island in Scotland that has wallabies, <laughs> we used to. Um, we used to get this uh, kangaroo product that was like a sausage type product, which was quite good because that you know we being being ground up then and probably maybe a couple other fattier type things put into it, it would gave you a bit more you know um, flexibility in cooking, uh, and it was quite a nice kind of kangaroo based sausage. But um, yeah, I don't mind it. I, I don't know if it translates that well to. Becoming a, a mainstay of an export market, though, it'd well, be good if it could. We'll never know. No point mm. to waste. No, that's true. What about so grains and and uh, you touched on it when we spoke a bit about Canada there, but what's been going on now? Yeah, a couple, it's, couple it's of just, big moves in pricing, hasn't it been recently? I always say that this time of year, basically June through to August, is the exciting time of year. That's when everything happens and that's when the market's going to do its crazy stuff and it's going to go up and it's going to go down. But, you know, we have seen, you know, CBOT wheat futures have risen, you know, 25 odd dollars in, uh, in basically the past week. Look, and it's just off the back of um, that, that Canadian crop, that US spring wheat crop has uh, deteriorated again. Uh, but also as well as that, the Russian crop uh, a lot of the estimates have been pulled back quite significantly. You know, about 5 million tonnes has come off the, uh, the Russian crop uh, basically between July and, and, and just now. Which... Is, that, is that been seasonal factors or is that because that there's been a response to what's been happening there with regards to that export stuff they brought in? Yeah, but a bit of both. Like, obviously, their, their, their export tariff has basically assisted in keeping prices down domestically in Russia. The Russian farmer said, basically, well, we don't want to be dicking around with this kind of stuff. And we don't, you know, we're not going to plant as much. So they've planted less acres, uh, which obviously results in less production, which in the end will probably increase local prices in Russia. So again, like we said back in January, when this was all coming on, we said, 
there will be unintended consequences of government intervention in markets. Mm. So, so whenever anyone says we need to get the government involved to fix our prices, I would say, look at how it's worked elsewhere and it's never worked. Right, so we got that. Also, there's been a bit dry this spring over there. So all in all, it really points towards a situation where things are just getting that little bit tighter on that global level, uh, which is which is a good thing. Um, you know, for us, we, we're, we're coming into a season of good production uh, off the back of another season of good production last year and, uh, and having reasonable prices. The only thing at the moment is, look, we are sitting at a period when we've got, you know, a negative basis uh, to, to U.S. futures, whereas typically we would be a, a strong premium. Historically, we've always been a strong premium to the U.S., and it's very rare for us to to be negative, uh, and or or discounted, but it's definitely. I'm, I might look at it later on, but it's interesting to see. Well, how long has the price stayed negative? And it's it's quite unusual for it to stay this negative so long. But then again, the market is pricing in a um, a good crop here. So mm. I guess what you, what you does could, that mean though? Um, like, in, is it too early yet to? to put a, a potential level on what you could be seeing as a local price, you know, come harvest? Like, oh, know, well, what... well, anything could change between now and then if the, if the futures fall. Like the futures just now, if we look at December futures, you're talking 370 Aussie dollars per tonne. Mm-hmm. But you're talking about, depends where you are, but let's, let's, let's say New South Wales, you're talking about $40 a tonne discount between futures and your price. Uh, which is a far cry from recent years when it's been 150 plus, but that, mm. was, due, but that was due to drought. Um, look, the big question is, does that basis stay around about $40 negative or does it start to narrow back into, you know, average levels or, or back to parity? Um, but look, I think regardless, we're probably going to be s- structured come harvest with reasonable prices considering you know how the uh, what, yeah yeah what the yield's gonna what the yield's gonna be yeah so, um yeah so lots of lots of money awash in the um in the agricultural space mate yeah and the, and the other one as well is canola again canola continues it's it's it, it really we was talking about a lot in in July and June uh, that it, it, it rocketed up look the the Chicago future in uh, Chicago. Ice futures have, have lost a bit of ground uh, for, for, for our harvest period. But our local pricing has tended to actually stay pretty flat after, after rising to those levels. It stayed quite strong uh, basically for the last four weeks, which is, which is good. Uh, you know, it's, it's allowing people, as they get a bit more certainty, to still lock away prices at you know, historically very high numbers. Uh, and it's not just an option that was there when, you know, Having great prices in February, for argument's sake, is, is not much use if, to lock in canola when you're so far from harvest. But each week that we get closer to harvest and it's still staying stable with a good, strong price is, is a bit of a, a brucey bonus. So, like, I mean, it's, it's all pretty positive at the moment. Uh, the other one was the pulses. We forgot about, we don't really cover the, the niche produce as much other than kangaroos. But we did have that... Uh, that Indian tariff has been effectively removed, and now it's just a, you know, a ten or eleven percent, depending on how you calculate it, which is just a, a tariff which they use to subsidise the farmers, uh, for agricultural development in India. 
Mm. But effectively, it's meant that, you know, our, our import tariff has been reduced substantially to 10% from 30%, which, again, is, 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 is pretty fantastic because we're coming up to a year when we're, we're going to have decent production locally here. But conversely, one of the things that we pointed out three or four weeks ago was that whilst Canada's having, you know, a, a terrible time when it comes to canola, it's not the only product that it's a huge exporter of and we compete with and lentils is one of those mm. and you know canada produces about 60 percent of the global trade in lentils and obviously most of that is going to go to the indian subcontinent just like ours does get it india and uh get it into you good one but what we're, what we're seeing now is that 60 percent of the world's crop is our exportable volumes are in canada they're having you know a dire time of it on the canola but it's also the lentils as well mm. so so it's opened up a market into india which fingers crossed those tariffs remain remain reduced until our harvest and beyond mm. uh, but what you're talking about a lower global stockpile for, for india to actually buy from and look we, we are we're the second choice really Mm. We're not. We're nowhere near as big an exporter, but we are well positioned for it. For someone, Andrew, that's not a an analyst of niche products, is it niche or niche? I've heard it pronounced both ways. Niche. It, I like niche. Is it not Nietzsche? Is <laughs> someone that's not really an analyst of the niche products? You've done a fantastic uh, summary of the pulse market, but I wonder if if we could occasionally get like a, a niche correspondent in. That could talk to us about all these, you know, kind of peculiar markets. It's an expert in those areas. Well, maybe, maybe, maybe we should, maybe we should get somebody in and 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 to 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 really talk about them in, in proper detail. Keep keep an eye open, I guess, would be the. Would if you know of any, if you know of any good uh, niche market analysts, listeners, drop us uh, a line. Let us know if there's someone you want to hear from, maybe once a month or something. You know, around these kind of niche products or niche. Nietzsche products. Nike. Nike. Nike products. Trainers. So, you know, I reckon that's, that's probably the summary of it, what's happening in, in, the, in the market space at the moment. Pretty, pretty positive all around, isn't it? It is. Yeah. Yeah. It's been, a, it's been a positive year for the agriculture markets and a positive year for us, mate. Oh, yeah. Very, um, well, a bit more than a year that AgWatch has been around. Yeah. Uh, one of the questions we keep getting is uh, we still keep getting a lot of, we, we do get a lot of people asking us about sponsorships and can we sponsor the podcast and you know, whatnot. But I think both you and I have agreed that it's not really what we want to do, is it? No, no, I don't think so. Keep it, keep it, uh, you know, kind of relaxed and art, informal. Art, and Arty and art house, you know, on, on the underground independent podcast, you know, <laughs> like, like, uh, like those radio shows in the seventies that were, you know, on boats in the Atlantic so they could get around the licensing. But, you know, I think if when we say we don't really want sponsors and whatnot, we just like it the way it is. You know, if you want to buy us a beer, you know, you can always, you know, if you, if you meet us in the pub, buy us a beer. Um, but the, uh, the other thing I was going to mention, and we just mentioned that, you know, everything's pretty positive. And I want to be that doer Scotsman again and say that, it's important. Is that the same as a dower Scotsman? A doer. A doer is someone that kind of gets things done. 
a person no. that's a bit kind of, you know, salty and, and miserable is dour, isn't it? Anyway. Do you, know, do you know that my Scottish accent is actually a recognised language in the Europe? Mm. So we shall take you to court next week for for crimes Bil- against... Racial vilification. Crimes against the Scottish people. <laughs> they do a good job you've against made, themselves. You've, you've just made an enemy for life, boy. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, but no, but but in all seriousness, no, like we, we keep hearing, all right, we speak to a lot of people on a weekly basis. And one of the things that concerns me most in those conversations is everything's fantastic it's going to, and it's going to be like this forever. We've, we've turned a corner in agricultural pricing and blah, blah, blah. Uh, my view is, again, it might be a bit depressing and it might not be what one of, people want to hear that they're listening. We're not far from the next drought. We've got great prices. We've got great production. Use that to prepare. And as my, as my lecturer in my undergraduate degree said, prior planning prevents piss poor performance. And I think that's important because we've got a fantastic opportunity to prepare for the drought that will be here at some point between here and 2025. Yeah, it's, so, like, it's likely, isn't it? It's likely so, we're going to see one before the middle of the decade. It's just a numbers game. Mm. And that's all it is. So uh, that's important that we, we use the opportunities that are here. But at the moment, I guess the thing is, you know, maybe don't go and buy that Lamborghini or that Bentley Ute and, <laughs> uh, and put, some, put some money under your mattress. Sounds like a good, good advice. That is financial advice. Stick it under well, the mattress. <laughs> um, although um, we've t- not taken into account anyone's uh, personal circumstances. Personal circumstances. Right. Oh, well, we'll leave it there, and we'll have another guest on in the next couple of days. On, on like again, what we said, a very unusual topic for us, but something that at least one of us finds interesting. Yeah, so. for sure, for sure, and um, and you know, if the listeners have got ideas for people out there we could have. Don't don't be scared to uh, drop us a line on the uh, on the Agwatchers uh, Twitter, Twitter account, Twitter account. Yeah, join just, us on Twitter. That'd be um, that'd be handy. Just if you got a a bit of a idea for us, I want to cover. That'd be good. No worries. See, See you when you later. got nothing on. See when you got nothing on. Catch you later. See you later.